The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and The Crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of The Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and today I'm rolling solo. Well, shout out to everybody out there that's following and listening to the show. Guys, we have to thank you for the support. The show continues to do very well with the numbers going up on our host on Red Circle. Also, those of you who are visiting us on our website at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. Of course, you go there and visit us. You can join our mailing list. Also, check out all the episodes. Leave a review. Leave a voice note by the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. Also, get to our Buy Us a Coffee page. You can go there to support the show monetarily, giving a small donation to make sure we can continue to keep the show running and giving you the content that you love and need. And as well as our private Facebook community, the Vault Podcast Record Club, taking a little bit of a break of things there, but we're going to pick back up with that soon. So make sure you join those in the links, of course, on vaultclassicpod.com. Thank you all for continuing to get the word out there, y'all. We got a busy, busy year lined up, so you want to make sure you stay tapped in. You don't want to miss anything. The years we're covering this year, 92, 97, and 02, lots of great albums during that year. And a lot of great moments during those years as well. So we'll be covering all the top albums, the classic and potential classic albums, movies. We covered Juiced earlier on this year. We have a couple of more movies we'll talk before the end of this year, as well as some events and current events that shaped hip-hop culture and black culture all around. So thank you all for spreading the word to those you think might like our content and our show. As we always say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics or MBTC. And today, well, we have an album that I would have to describe, and it's funny because I used this term after watching a little bit of the show We Crash, which is about the rise and fall of the company We Work that has Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway. We're going to talk about an album that's actually a little bit of a unicorn. And I use that term unicorn because I'm really sort of at a loss for words to describe what this album is. And... I have a very unique relationship with this album in regards to the time that it came out and how I discovered it. And I'm glad that I discovered it because it set me on a journey with this particular artist that we're covering today that sort of shaped the way how I listen to music after this. And I know it's a bit of an exaggeration to say something like that, but when I say the profound impact that this album has had on my life, I can only put it in the category of a few albums. D'Angelo's Voodoo, Reflection Eternals, Train of Thought, Erica Badu's Mama's Gun, Music's I Just Want to Sing, Jill Scott's Words and Sounds, Volume 1. I mean, there's a lot of albums that I could list through as far as the ones that had a profound impact on me, but this one definitely did. And it came at a fairly young age for me. Perusing the internet traffic on Twitter or being on YouTube or Facebook, 
to search for news with this artist, but to see so many people tapped in and in tune to her music, in particular this album, which had not just a profound impact on me, but so many others in the country, but also in the world. So we're going to go back 25 years ago. We're going to go to April 15th, 1997. The debut studio album of R&B and soul artist Adriana Evans, her self-titled debut album, Adriana Evans, released on Loud and RCA Records, was recorded between 1995 and 1997 with a runtime of 50 minutes and 59 seconds. The producers on this, largely Jonathan Dred Scott, a hip-hop artist and producer, and we'll get a little bit more into his and Adriana's relationship a little bit later. Adriana wrote and also produced a good amount of songs on this record, but another person I want to also talk about, in addition to the many different instrumentalists and musicians who played on this album, but definitely have to give some love to Rostine Calhoun III, who was an arranger for a big portion of the album in regards to putting the musical arrangements together, as well as serving as an instrumentalist on this as well. He did a phenomenal job of putting this album together. Now, those of you out there who are listening may have never heard of both Adriana Evans and also the album itself. And for those of you who haven't, I have to say that I feel really bad for you. <laughs> the reason being is because um, I stumbled across this album on accident. And I I'm almost certain that about 95 to 90% of you probably haven't heard of this album. But to those of you who have, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. It's sort of like when I talk about this album, it's like a feeling, you know? It's almost like what's not said is understood. The connection you have between two people that can look at each other and know exactly what each other is thinking. Like, I feel like that when I read the comments of people when listening to her music on YouTube and reading the comments under the YouTube videos and on discussion boards and on Twitter, that the people that know about her in this album have such a unique relationship with it in regards to the way that this album makes them feel. I can't really describe it any other way other than that. But for those of you who don't know, I'll just go into a little brief introduction to Adriana. So she was born in San Francisco. She's the daughter of jazz singer Mary Stallings. Now, Mary Stallings sung alongside the likes of Count Basie and Dizzy Gillespie. When Adriana was born, Mary took her on the road with her when she was still performing. So this shaped a good portion of her life growing up and having a big portion of that jazz influence. You'll definitely hear that in this album and, and much of her music after this. She then leaves San Francisco, goes to L.A. to go to college and is introduced to Jonathan Dred Scott. Now, to go back to Jonathan Dred Scott, he is a hip hop artist and producer. He actually released the album Breaking Combs. Adriana was featured in a couple of songs and videos for that album, including the songs Check the Vibe and Back in the Day. Really was an underground success, Breaking Combs was, released on a and Records in 1994. And after this album, they started working on this album. Now, Adriana had was on a couple of records. She actually was originally on Capitol Records before this album came out. But as... Method have it, especially starting in the mid-90s, a lot of record labels started to go through transitions. Some of them shut down. They started to be acquired by other labels. And as a result of that, she ended up getting signed to Loud RCA Records. And this is Loud RCA, a record label that many of you know, it's mostly a hip-hop record label. I mean, some of the acts, you know, of course, Wu-Tang, Ender 36 Chambers, Mop Deep, 
big pun, beat nuts as well, dead prez. It really was an record label that was hip hop focused and they had a lot of success in the early to mid nineties and into the late nineties, really the whole nineties. They had tons of success. So Adriana found herself on this record label recording her debut album. And this album came out in 1997, came out in April. There were two singles on this album. The first one, Seeing is Believing, and then the second one, which is Love is All Around. Now, those two singles made it on the R&B singles charts. Seeing is Believing at number 50 and Love is All Around at number 65, their peak positions. So not really huge commercial success, but... The thing that I think which attracted a lot of people to this album is that those who, like, when they heard her music, those who felt connected to it grew a very strong connection to it and felt drawn to her. And that really describes me how I found out about it. So I found out about Adriana as an artist by seeing the Seeing is Believing video on Video Vibrations on BET. And it's weird because I never really watched Video Vibrations that much. I mean, mostly if I was watching BET, I was watching Teen Summit on Saturday. Of course, after school, I was watching Rap City, especially Rap City Top 10 on Saturday after Rap, after Teen Summit went off. Then, of course, Video Soul, especially that countdown on Friday night. And then later on, of course, there was Planet Groove, which Rachel was on, and that was on from like 97 into 99. And... I didn't see a whole lot of video vibrations, but I think it was like a random, maybe a Saturday or maybe it was like a, I don't know, some weird random weeknight, but I'm sitting there and on video vibrations, you see the videos that you don't necessarily see on the planet grooves or the video souls. You know, you don't, of course won't see those ones on rap city. You're going to see more. So change of pace artists. Some are a little bit more underground indie, sort of on the fringe, uh, some international artists, but I see the video for seeing is believing and I'm hearing the track and the track was, it was a jam, you know? And so of course I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. This Adriana Evans. Now at this time I don't have the internet, so I can't run to the computer to go look her up. So I start going through most of the magazines on my way to the store, going to Marketplace Mall. My mom used to go to the Safeway up there every Friday. So while she used to go grocery shop, I would spend at least half of that time going through the magazine store and bookstore to go through the magazines to try to find it. So I'm flipping through the source. I'm flipping through Word Up, flipping through Right On. And I found some sort of small advertisement that was advertising the album coming out, which was the debut album. And I was like, you know what? I like that song. When it comes out, I'm going to buy this album just off of the strength of the single itself. I didn't know anything else about Adriana Evans. I didn't know anything about her music, about the producers, her story, none of that. I just liked the single. So back then, it was either one of two things. You were either going to buy the single or you were going to buy the album. And so because I wasn't really into buying singles like that, I'm like, yo, I'm going to go ahead and get this album and check it out. Because you'd be willing to sort of give someone a chance, especially if you mess with at least one of the songs on the album. At the worst... What's going to happen is I only like one song and I can only play that album for that one song. But I said I was going to give it a shot. So I didn't even buy it when it first came out because I think I went to go get the album. What solidified it for me was the second single, Love Is All Around, came out. And I was like, okay, so this is two for two right here. I need to go ahead and go get this album. So I went to Circus City at Landover Mall and I went and bought the album, had the CD and then found out it was an enhanced CD. And a lot of record labels were starting to do that at that time, releasing these enhanced CDs and Loud Records. Actually, that was something that they were doing with a few of their artists in that year in particular. We'll get to that in just a second. And I get through the album and start listening to it. And I'm 15 years old, mind you. And I'm a huge hip hop head. 
I love rap. I love hardcore rap. I love backpack rap. I love underground rap. I love the little bit of it all. All types of hip hop appealed to me because I could find some sort of value proposition in most of it. I liked R&B music. You know, I was fan of R&B artists and I was really big into the Neo Soul movement at that time. You know, I was big fan of D'Angelo, of Maxwell, of Erica Badu, but I love the Mary J. Blige's, the groups like TLC and Escape, you know, SWV, Boys to Men, Jodeci. So I liked R&B music back then. What drew me more so to her is because the, the album, it sounded different. The music sounded different. And I'm playing this record and I'm playing it downstairs in the basement and so my dad comes walking downstairs and he's like, what's that you're listening to? And I'm like, oh, what's this artist, Adriana Evans? You know, she's like an R&B artist. And my dad is sitting there and he sits there for like maybe five to seven minutes and goes through a couple of tracks with me. He's just sitting there listening. And he's like, yo, I want a copy of that. So I actually dubbed a copy of this for my dad and gave it to him. And that's really, I guess, how I could describe the album and how it sounded. At 15 years old, I know it's very unusual, I thought it was like for a 15 year old to be into this type of music at that age, but it was, um, it was alluring. It really was. Her voice was something that was magnetic. Um, me not really even knowing much even about her outside of the music. The music alone is really what drew me into her because it was again, so different than most of anything that I heard at that particular time. And I mean, you get into the album and you hear, like, of course, the instruments and you hear these arrangements and you have these different types of sounds. You have horns and you have strings and pianos and guitars and basses. And then you also get into the album and you hear like these drums that are funky as hell. And it's just like, OK, so one minute I'm listening to it and I'm getting a little bit more of a jazz and a soul feel from some of the tracks that I'm listening to. And then out of nowhere, you get into another track and the track is funky as hell and you're head nodding, almost like you're listening to a rap track. And that really brought into me, man, because I grew up playing the trumpet I grew, and eventually learned how to play the piano. And I listened to jazz records from the records that my dad had and some older mentors. It was like, yo, I can dig with this, man. This shit is like almost like new age jazz, but it's like kind of hip hop. But then it's also soul. Like You couldn't even really put it into one type of box. Some folks wanted to go ahead and put this in the Neo Soul realm, but to me, I don't even think you could really put it in sort of like the Neo Soul category because it's so much more than just Neo Soul. And when I got through the album, man, I put through a couple of my homeboys to this and they kind of clown me at first. And then when I let them listen to it, everybody was asking for a dub of this joint. So of course I did it. Why not? Because I wanted to share good music. This became one of my favorite CDs over the years. And I would keep this and play this with me going through high school. It was a steady, steady part of my rotation during college, especially during those times when I was one, either studying or if I had a shorty over the room, you know what I'm saying? So that really became a big part of my rotation. And it was something that more and more people started listening to it. They were like, yo, this album is slamming. Who'd you say shorty is? So this time we got the internet and we could look it up readily. And some folks are sort of listening up. I actually knew a couple of people who bought this album and they were able to find it, went ahead and bought it. But the the tracks on here, man, it is almost like a perfect fusion of soul music, of jazz, of R&B, and of hip hop. And there are different elements in this album that can appeal to anyone. You'll hear like a ballad 
And then you'll get into like a track that eventually snapping drums, you know, Dred Scott being a hip hop producer, you're hearing those snapping drums like, whoa, okay, all right, cool, I can get with this. Then all of a sudden you get back down into a ballad, a little bit more slower tempo track. And the music, of course, catches you, man. But then her voice, I mean, my goodness, her voice, it was dynamic. That's really the best way that I could describe it. Sometimes she would sing and you would hear her sing and she would glide along and the vocals would be so sweet and soft and really smooth. And all of a sudden she would ascend into a powerful run out of nowhere. And then you're just like, whoa. Then you see just like how strong her vocals were. She would actually sit there and go for it. I mean, her range on this and overall is just crazy. Vocal range is absolutely out of this world. And you can hear in her voice the influences of jazz singers, obviously her mom. But then I would hear things and listen and I would hear, you know, sort of like some influences from singers like Sade and Anita Baker and Tina Marie. Just to be able to hear that vocal range and that voice was just so dynamic. And it isn't like completely overpowering, you know, like Whitney Houston overpowering or some of these folks that have like these amazing runs and flex all the time. But it was powerful, but didn't have to show off. That to me is what really impressed me about her. Cause you get some of these singers out here and they scream and sound like they having seizures when they're singing and she could show off her vocals, but didn't feel like she had to show off too much. She was just almost like it was so effortless. Sort of like the same way. Like people say when Michael Phelps would swim or Roger Federer would play tennis, that was Adriana singing the album had so many different themes in it. And of course, it's an R&B album, so you're going to have themes about love and relationships, but then there's other themes in there as well It's a, that are serious topics. Like you hear that in songs, and some of the songs here. You hear about things as far as like being, a, being aware and consciousness, but oh, it was just, man, being able to hear this music and the, the musicianship on here. Like you would have those hard hip-hop beats and drums on some of these tracks, but then you would get in and you would hear a song that would have like some soft strings and uh, string arrangements on here. Then the horns on some of these tracks, the horns on some of these tracks were absolutely ridiculous. And as a former horn player, like, listen, live horns in the studios is nothing like it. There is nothing like being able to hear a live horn section get busy over a track. And then hearing things like vibraphones and the guitars, like the bass guitars. Some of the musicians who worked on this, man, um, you know, we talked about Rastin Calhoun, who arranged a good amount of tracks here and was sort of like a musical director in a certain sense, as Adriana said on the Planet Groove interview she did in 97. But guitarists like Craig T. Cooper, who also played with her live as well, vibraphonists, Dugu Chancellor, baritone saxophone, Gary Bias. You had Keith Jones on the bass, Herman Jackson on the keyboards, horn players like Dwayne Benjamin, Andy Cleves, Will Miller. And you take the combination of all those things and people that you know that love playing music and sort of have a vibe with each other. That's one thing that you can say about this album. Adriana said in that Planet Groove interview that, you could tell that they enjoyed playing and being around each other. She had, and Dred Scott had, a huge amount of creative control over this that the label gave them the freedom to be able to go out there and make this album, like take the time to make it creatively really get in their bag. And she said that they really enjoyed playing with each other when you vibe and there's like having a great time in the studio making music. 
And it shows in listening to this, the care, just the soulfulness in this record. And it's just, I could go on and on. You get that. You would get those live instruments and then you would get like those hip hop, like sort of feeling tracks, contemporary RB feeling tracks that would give the album a nice blend. And when it all came together, you got 12 tracks of fire. You hear me? Of absolute fire. That's really like my first reflections of everything. That stayed with me pretty much throughout all of my time. Throughout all time that I've been listening to this album, my opinion has not changed much. If anything, it's gotten better because now I see other people's opinions about it. And it's just like, man, well, you know what? I wasn't wrong about this. And not only that, I wasn't the only one who felt this way about this album. So, yeah, man, now we'll just go ahead and get into my highlights. Highlights and lowlights. There's tons of highlights on here, man. And spoiler alert, there's no lowlights. None whatsoever. We talked about the different type of tracks on here, how you get definitely the ballads and the slower tempo tracks, ones that have more of a jazzy feel, more of a classic soul feel. Then you get into the ones that sound more contemporary, more hip hop. That to me is definitely a highlight on the album to go from songs like Love Is All Around, which opens up the album, which is um, an amazing, amazing track. Um, and the second single that was on here, songs like Heaven and Trippin' and I'll Be There and Looking For Your Love, like those songs give you sort of that throwback feel, you know? Like we talk about the jazz influence that definitely permeated her life and you could tell was an influence on her style. You get a lot of that in those songs. Um, I think especially in songs like Love Is All Around and In Heaven and Looking For Your Love, you get like that sort of jazz and classic soul influence. But then you go from that and you get the songs like Seeing is Believing and in Reality and Hey Brother and Love Me and Swimming and In the Sun, which closes out the album. Just that contemporary feel, those hip hop drums and rhythms that makes you nod your head. And then to pair up her vocals with these tracks. I mean, my goodness, to have that versatility, to be able to sing on two different type of styles of tracks and then not seem like her voice was out of place on either one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It speaks to an incredible amount of artistic flexibility and creativity to do something like that. And uh, just talking about, you know, the horns, the horns on, in particular, heaven and on looking for your love and tripping. <laughs> My goodness. There were a couple of times listening to this, even recently getting ready for this review, that if I could have thrown something while I was in my car listening to this, I would have thrown myself listening to these horns. But really looking for your love kind of brings me back to songs that I think would have been from my parents' times, like songs that you hear from the 60s and the 70s, like those classic groups that would have, you know, these love songs and these ballads and the things that were really would be feel good music, things that basically would be in their basement parties during that time to close out the night. To, for me to be able to appreciate that at 15 years old and then now to be 40 and still appreciate it now even more is so crazy. Now, this song actually might be my favorite song on the album, which is Say You Won't. 
<laughs> um, this is the second to last track on the album. It to me sort of takes those two sensibilities. We talked about the old style and the new style and sort of puts them right together. And oh, I love this song. I think more than any other song on this album, I probably played say you won't more than any other. And I love most of the other songs. I mean, I love songs like reality. I love, Hey brother. I love, you know, looking for your love and tripping, but you know, say you won't really has a special place in my heart. And then the great thing about the album production is that it's really sort of half jazz, half contemporary R and B, but then also was hip hop inspired because, you know, dread and Adriana were hip hop heads. I mean, I listened to a podcast and I'm really trying to figure out the name of this podcast. I'm going to come up with it in just a second, but Adriana said, you know, she grew up a hip hop fan. I mean, even though her mother, you know, was a jazz singer and she grew up around jazz and a lot of classic soul music. She loved hip hop music. She even said that growing up that she was even like a, like a B girl, <laughs> you know, which makes me respect her even more. I mean, cause the vocals alone and the artistry, everything is great. But the fact that I, I knew listening to this interview that she was a certified hip hop head, that that was one of the things that sort of drew her and dread together as music partners. And then eventually for those who don't know, then become a husband and wife dread and Adriana married each other and became husband and wife. I'm guessing sometime not too long after this debut album came out, but that made me just be like, you know what? That is, um, that's really cool, man. As a matter of fact, the podcast is, and I'll put it in the show notes is from the GFM podcast network. I found this on Spotify. This was a podcast that actually took place. I want to say, was almost more than 10 years ago um, when this interview took place. As a matter of fact, this is, and we'll have the link in the show notes, took place on June 17th, 2011. And uh, this is right not too long after her last album, Walking With The Night, came out, at least the one that is most recently available. And it was really illuminating to be able to hear that from her. You know, the fact that she was a big, big hip-hop fan. So I could see where those influences of hip-hop being in there, man. It was refreshing to hear. It really was. Love, say you won't. Love, love is all around to open up the album. And the thing about it is just like, you know, she opened up the album with two singles. That's a brave move. Now, she probably figured out that the singles were going to be after she ended up recording. But in sequencing, having the first two singles be there and those are the first two songs, it's a little bit of a brave move. Because here's the reason why this may not end up working out. If those two songs are great and people dig those and the rest of the album is either mediocre to um, people aren't really feeling it. You know, you people could tune out after those. But the great thing about that is that they backed up those two singles leading off the album with absolute fire and the rest of those tracks. And then the sequencing in that, to have that, the different feel of those tracks, to go from something jazz and really classic soul inspired from looking for your love to then following up to or having love me and then having that follow up by looking for your love and then swimming to say you won't, it really was masterful. It was a masterful job of really putting that together. And, oh, man, I just love this album so much. And the great thing that I love is that there are people out there that love this album and recognize her for the job that she did and that this was an album that, you know, a lot of people surprisingly don't really know about. It. I mean, this album didn't go gold. It didn't go platinum. We don't know what the record numbers are this as far as what it sold, so I'm guessing it probably sold less than 500,000, right? Which is crazy to me to think that this happened. But I'll go into a little bit at that as I close out the podcast as to why that happened. You know, but first I'm going to go ahead and get into, y'all know what it is. 
final verdict. So listen, man, I know this isn't a very well-known album. I know that many of you out there may have not heard this, probably haven't heard of Adriana Evans before, but when I'm telling you, when I say that heads know, the heads that know, know, we know. And if you were there and listened to it, and if you caught it even back then in 97, yo, you already know what the deal with this album is. I mean, this album is top to bottom, front and back, side to side, flawless. I mean, that's right. It's flawless. I mean, there isn't a flaw on this album. Everything on here from the writing to the production to the arrangements to the musicians to Adriana to Dread is just, I mean, it's timeless music. It's music that years from now, that 20 years from now, I'll still be listening to this. And when you got music like that, what is that, boys and girls? It's a certified classic. That's what this is. Adriana Evans, Adriana Evans' album, self-titled debut, is a certified classic. The classic that you never knew about. The classic that flew right by you that you never even noticed. The classic that if you didn't have it in your life, you know you need it in your life right, right now. Certified classic, without a shadow of a doubt. Now, this is what I wanted to close the podcast on. I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about this before we get into it. So many of you out there are saying, well, B, this is a certified classic. How come I ain't never heard about it? Well, boys and girls, let's take and examine that. And I want to give a shout out to the R&B representatives, JR and Elise, their YouTube channel. They had an interview earlier this year where they talked to none other than Dart Adams, hip hop historian, hip hop head, author, all around information guru when it comes to the hip hop game and music game, especially in the 80s, 90s, when you're talking about hip hop. I mean, he has a, a huge amount of influence out there and has forgotten a lot about this game than more people have ever learned. And he's a research maven, but he was out and around during this time. So the three of them sat down to talked about this and he and Jr. and Elise brought out a lot of good points in regards to why this album didn't blow up. One, she was on loud RCA. It was mostly a hip hop album Two, There really wasn't a lot of promotion around this album. I said that I mentioned, I found a small, and when I mean small, it was one of those like quarter page ads, maybe in one of those magazines. I can't even remember what magazine it was. It was so unremarkable, but I went out looking for some sort of advertisement to find out more about this artist when I saw the video on Video Vibrations. And on Loudon RCA, you also have to understand, during that particular time in April of 97, two months from now, what's about to come out on Loud RCA? None other than Wu-Tang Forever. The double album by Wu-Tang, which is the follow-up to their classic debut. And this is an album that it was so highly anticipated that many of us couldn't wait for Wu to put out another album that I think the label put the majority of their efforts during that particular time, that second quarter, to putting out the singles and also the promotional material to make sure that Wu-Tang Forever blew up when it came out. And it did. It absolutely exploded. It did very, very well. I mean... The sales numbers for that number are completely off the charts because it was such a highly anticipated album. Then you also look at it, and they mentioned that during their, their show, and I'll put their link for their show in my show notes as well, is that Loud and RCA were also promoting a couple other R&B acts during that time, in particular, Davina. And Davina, who was an R&B artist and singer from Detroit, who also worked at Loud and RCA as a sound engineer, put out a single in particular the one single they put out she put out was so good which was on the hoodlum soundtrack which interestingly enough adriana also put out a song on the hoodlum soundtrack as well that was lucky days another collaboration between adriana dread scott and also rastin calhoun as well so they were both on that hoodlum soundtrack which was 
of course, on Loud Records as well. So Davina really was an R&B artist at that time that they put their energy into marketing. Another artist that came out during that time that released one on RCA Records was Yvette Michelle. Yvette Michelle, who came out with that track, I'm Not Feeling You, and then also was featured on the OC Far From Yours single that came for the Jewels album on 1997. So you would see promotions for both of them in magazines, and you wouldn't see a lot about Adriana. So... They mentioned this, and JR said this during the podcast. It's almost like Loud said, yo, y'all figure out what y'all need to do with this album. Good, you got creative control and everything else, but marketing-wise, yo, you're kind of on your own, homie, because they had their priorities elsewhere. But then the last part that I want to get into is why I think this album didn't blow up the way that it should is the context of the time and when it was released. Now, this is 1997. Two months before this album came out, and right around the time maybe when they were promoting the singles of Seeing is Believing and Love is All Around, Erica Badu drops Baduism. Starting from the end of 96 into 97, Baduism is blowing up by way of the singles on and on. Then the other singles, Next Lifetime and Other Side of the Game, through the rest of 97, Erica Badu blew up like hell during 97. So you have... Erica Badu, who was really popularizing a big portion of the neo-soul movement to the public in 97 by being this enigmatic, like, magnetic force that everybody was drawn to in the music industry that cleaned up everything during award season and definitely dominated the charts and videos to... When you get to that, and two months afterwards, Adriana coming out with not very promotion, no marketing, like no sort of like promotional tour to get her on, maybe on with the feature of someone of Loud's better known artists, perhaps, you know, shoot, Davina did something with Raekwon, Adriana couldn't do something perhaps maybe with, you know, Mob Deep, or <laughs> I want to say maybe even Pete Rock, but I mean, it, it just didn't make any sense, but when you see in the context of that, to see that Erica Badu blew up, then it's like, yeah, it's going to be hard for someone, especially when they want to put the two of you in the same space, but you don't necessarily occupy that same space. It was going to be hard. Then you go later on in the month, what comes out as well. Mary J. Blast's third album, Share My World, comes out in 1997. I mean, incredible album. I mean, that was an album, again, that, you know, a great, great album by Mary J. Blast, who had been out there in a few years, and I put out two classic albums before then. Then you go later on into 1997, you have Missy putting out albums. You have SWV release some tension coming out with some albums. You have John Ace Saturday Night coming out that year. And then in that fall, you had what I wouldn't say is probably one of the greatest R&B release dates of all time in September that released Mariah Carey's Butterfly and also released Usher's My Way and John B's Cool Relax. So you put all those elements together. You had a phenomenal year for R&B music. You had a year when R&B and hip-hop were crossing over just as much as it was in the early 90s into the mid-90s. So you really saw this huge, huge commercial success around all those projects that I named. And then you had Adriana, who had a really... I mean, this album is phenomenal. But it's almost like, as they mentioned on the show, it came out during the wrong time. Like, if this came out maybe a year before, or let's say even in 1995 and they liken this. And I like the, the comparison that if this had come out around the same time of D'Angelo's Brown sugar and on groove theory with their self, their debut album, like if they would have occupied in that space, that it's quite possibly with a little bit more marketing promotion during that particular time, that the album could have done better. People would have really grabbed onto her artistry and the production, and the musicianship, because those are things that transcend the times and the trends. They really do. 
Like you could take music like this and it will bang no matter what area you are in because you have an appreciation for the music and the artistry of a vocalist that had vocals out of this world that didn't even seem like she was trying hard. <laughs> I mean, that's really the thing that just kind of blows me away. So this did not blow up. And as a result of that, after everything happened with Loud and RCA, then Loud and RCA folds, she becomes disillusioned with the music industry and really just kind of packs up and goes and moves to Brazil. So for seven years, we don't get any music from Adriana Evans at all. She resurfaces in 2004 with her second album, Nomadic. And then after that point, over the next six years, she puts out a few other projects. She comes out with her third album, Kismet, El Camino in 2007, and then Walking with the Night in 2010. And when I found out about these projects after sort of like her falling off of my radar, even though this album was always within my consciousness, I listened to these other albums and you know what I heard? I heard consistency. I still heard that the passion of music was still there, even though she left and had been really grown, like, you know, just really just forget this music shit. Like I'm out, I'm done. And, but as she came back and came back with the passion, still collaborating with Dred Scott, still like the musicianship was there, that mixture of like that jazz, classic soul, R&B and hip hop music to make this beautiful, beautiful music that so many people could relate to. And her vocals not dropping off one bit those vocals from all those albums all the way up to Walking With The Night were strong. I mean, they were incredible. And I listened to Walking With The Night about a few months ago, heading out for a friend's birthday party on the way up to Baltimore. And I listened to it all the way up there, man. And I was just amazed. It's like, she's still doing it. She was still doing it all those years. Now, since 2010, in that podcast, I told you that GFM podcast, we heard that interview from her and she had been doing some tours and, touring in Europe and obviously overseas she had a very big audience and people who followed her sometimes you deal with overseas crowds and fans will be a little bit more perceptive than the American fans and crowd so I could see why she would have success but after 2011 there's not really a trace of her around on the internet man she said on that podcast that she really didn't do any social media she didn't have any websites or anything else like that it was sort of like catch me when you catch me and uh, sort of listening to that interview and knowing what we, the little bit that I do know about her, not really much personally, it doesn't really surprise me. And, you know, somebody that would up and, you know, pack their bags and go to Brazil and you know, use those influences from the music in Brazil and the time that she was there, like, you know, the samba music and, you know, bossa nova. I mean, you really, I could see how, you know, somebody to get up and move and, and then sort of go to a place like Brazil, be off the map and then come back. To not really have any music or social media, you know, or, or websites or anything that anybody could tap into. I get it. I can understand why. The one thing that I did find was on a random Facebook page. Somebody had a recording of her of some show that she did. I want to say like in 2017 where her mother was actually there with her and she was doing music. And a lot of it was uh, this music inspired from her Brazilian inspired music. She was singing a good portion of those songs in Portuguese which was crazy. And she still had the vocals. She was still flexing it. But ever since then, it's been nothing. There are two artists out there that in the last few years that I've been searching for like crazy, that I've loved their music. I love their vibe, their spirit, their artistry that I haven't been able to find hardly anything about. Now, one of course is Adriana, but the other one was Vinnie Mojica. I mean, I, you know, I love wish that I could get like the hold of the two of them and just tell them like, you know, hug them musically and tell you like, listen, your music means so much to me and to so many other people out there. 
and thank you for what it is that you've done. And we want to hear more music, but she's no, not really anywhere to be found. This album, the Adriana Evans album is hard to find out there on vinyl, even cassette tapes and CDs, because this is not available on streaming services. The only way that you can find her music, this particular album is on YouTube, or you can find it with the different CDs and tapes that are available out there. A lot of them on the secondary market and they're a commodity. And you can tell by the prices that are out there. <laughs> they're definitely a commodity. I've seen vinyl prices for this album out there, like anywhere from like the low thirties up to like hundreds of dollars. So there are people out there that still want copies of this album. And because it's not on streaming services, it makes it that much more of like a treasured get. Like when you get it, it's almost like you got Willy Wonka's golden ticket. So Adriana Evans, Adriana Evans debut album. Listen, however you can listen to this album, uh, yo, go look it up on YouTube. You can't pull it up on streaming services. And it pains me that, you know, that you can't because I want you all to hear what I have heard and what I've loved for 25 years. This is a phenomenal album. It is a certified classic by a vocalist that is so talented, uh, so creative, and also seems like such a warm and kind spirit of all the interviews that I have heard from her. So I don't know where she is, but I'm going to close this out with these last couple of things. One, I don't know who owns Loud RCA's catalog. I don't know if it's Sony or, or whoever owns it. Whoever owns that, please, 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 for the love of God and all of us who love Adriana Evans and her music, please put this album on streaming services. Please make it available on Apple Music and on Tidal or whatever else you want to make it available on. Please make like the world needs to hear more of this music. So whoever owns it, if you're listening out there, which I doubt you are, but please make this available on streaming services. What do we have to do to get this album on streaming services? And then the second thing I want to say, it's a long shot, but hey, Adriana, if you're out there listening to this, this happens to go across your airwaves. Somebody sends this to you. Or if you're out there perusing the internet and you find this, please, <laughs> if you're out there, please, I would love it if you could reach out to me. I would love to be able to sit down and have an interview with you or on the podcast to sit there and talk just about music and life, you know, because I mean, I, I love this album. There are lots and lots of people out there that love your album and speak it up on so many different channels on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram. Like there are lots of us out there. It's a small but really niche and dedicated group of fans that would love to hear from you to just know how you're doing to see if you're doing okay so if you can it's a long shot i know but please reach out to me i'd love to be able to sit down and talk with you one day and let's have an interview to just talk about music and life i'd love it and that is going to wrap up yet another edition of the vault Please make sure you are checking us out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also visit us on vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can listen to episodes, rate, review. Also leave us a voice note by the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. Support us through our Buy Me a Coffee page. Also join the Vault Podcast Record Club, the private Facebook community for fans. Click the link answer some questions in your end and make sure y'all checking us out on all of our streaming sources and as well, all of our social media channels. Again, you can reach us on Instagram on at vault classic pod on Twitter at vault classic and on Facebook and YouTube searching the page, the vault classic music reviews podcast, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support, and if you have a friend, tell a friend, and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we'd like to remind everyone to dream big, because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, 
motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.